You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome back to Music Tectonics, where we go beneath the service of music and technology. I'm Dimitri Vitsa. I'm your host, and I'm also the founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a music tech PR firm. And as we've done this mini-series about all the new opportunities and challenges of the COVID-19 era, things like live streaming, remote collaboration, remote education, music making at home, I wanted to bring on a guest who I've actually wanted to have on the podcast for quite a while to talk about how you even do marketing monetization in the streaming era. And now with this uh, uh, shelter at home situation, make music at home situation, how do you pick your music career back up off the ground situation, I thought we could still do that conversation and, and maybe focus on what you can be doing in this moment to pick up on your career, given that you can't go out to collaborate, you can't go on tour, um, but you can still make music and you can still release music. So I'm really excited to have Jay Gilbert here with me. He's with Label Logic, a company that helps artist managers, artists basically run their labels through their distributors, but really all the things that you'd think about a label doing, Jay and his team at Label Logic are helping those artists, managers, even some labels do that type of stuff. Jay's calling in from LA. How you doing, Jay? I'm doing great, Dimitri. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's great to have you, man. Uh, we've crossed paths at a lot of industry events and uh, even shared clients yeah. and um, yep. all sorts of stuff. You've got quite the history going back 20 years with Universal Music. Uh, you yeah. did a stint at Warner. Um, so yep. you've, you've kind of watched this whole digital landscape into streaming evolve. Yeah, it's been really great watching the entire industry go from, you know, physical to digital download and, you know, then kind of to streaming and watching vinyl doing what it's doing and um, just watching the different configurations change. But it doesn't really change the the basic blocking and tackling of marketing a release. You still have to put out compelling content. You still have to reach an audience. You know, all those basic things are still the same. So did I leave anything out about uh, at the intro that we might want to fill people in before we dive real deep here? No, I think you pretty much covered it. I mean, we are at Label Logic, we're the kind of the label infrastructure and we help uh, people, whether it's artists, managers, labels, and even some distributors on, you know, kind of navigating this new music business. Cool. Well, let's talk about it more generally. And then as the conversation goes on, we can talk about maybe what the impact of the, um, the isolation, self-isolation is and where the opportunities lie. And also what can people do to leverage their free time if they're managing an artist or running a label or they're an artist themselves, any, any member of that team as well, if that sounds cool with you. So what I've noticed and, you know, I'm more, you know, in my career, I'm more on the PR side of things. Um, and on the marketing side and on the monetization side, one thing, that's been very abrupt for people who were in the music industry before it switched not only to digital but to but the streaming is people were used to be able to say hey go buy x go buy this album mm-hmm. um, and then maybe mm-hmm. go buy this single and now there's a lot of artists that struggle with this idea of you can stream stuff because they're not seeing very much money from any given stream, any single fan, and so forth. But what I'm seeing is the labels that are being successful and the artists that are being successful are still pushing fans to streaming services. So artists 
some artists might be resisting that. They're like, um, it's just undercutting, you know, what I can make if I go on tour and sell vinyl or sell CDs and mm-hmm. so forth. Um, and, you know, so people are pushing their fans to streaming services for maximum effect, but then they're not having a way to contact those fans. Tell us kind of the philosophy behind why and how you drive people to streaming and how you maximize revenue by doing that. Well, you make a really good point. You know, it's, it's one piece of a larger puzzle. You know, we like to say a playlist is not a marketing plan, right? So, you know, I hear from people all the time, you know, we don't make very much money on streaming. Well, you, you do though, if, if it's a controlled composition, meaning that you wrote it, you know, if you control the publishing on it, there are not a lot of co-writers. You, I know artists that are making decent money on streaming, but a stream is not worth a download. A download is not worth a CD, you know, and so on. It's got to be part of an a bigger, larger plan. So do you want to drive people to streaming? Yeah, because even though you don't have that direct relationship, there are other ways that you can have that direct relationship. ECRM, fancy way of saying email lists, right? Then those are still powerful. You should still do that. In a post-COVID world, when you're back playing, make sure you have an email list. That is great having that communication, having socials, right? You, you have that connection and that relationship with your fan, right? And there's tons of other platforms. You know, we love platforms like, you know, Bands in Town, where you can communicate directly with your trackers for free and you can reach out to like competitive artists, you know, for five cents an email and reach them. There's tons of ways to engage um, with your audience. One of the big complaints that we hear is that, well, we've been disintermediated you know, mm-hmm. that's a big, yep. long word um, with, uh, you know, these digital service providers, because now they have our, our, not only our customers, but they have the data. You know, it's, it's really interesting when, when you're putting out new music before it's released, you know more about it than the DSPs. Uh, the digital service providers like Spotify, you know more about it than they do. You know what your plan is. You know what the narrative is. You know everything about it, how it's being advertised and set up. But once it is released, now they know more about it than you do. They know who's streaming it, what the source of that stream is, where they're at, you know, mm-hmm. who's skipping it, all that great data. And yes, you can get a lot of that data, but it's it's a totally different world now, but it doesn't have to be just streaming. I, I tell clients, you need to be on these platforms because uh, one of one of the things we say a lot is you go to where the party is. Right. Right. Yeah. Where, where is the, the number one streaming service is YouTube by far. You need to be there and you need to have a strategy for that. Right. You may not make the revenue that you make even on Spotify or Apple Music, but you need to be where your fans are. And I think that's kind of the, the point we try to drive home. So you mentioned Spotify and Apple. You mentioned YouTube. Let's take a step back. If an artist is is let's say they're trying to make the they're still trying to make the transition from I remember when I could sell ten thousand records and I could go on tour and sell another three thousand records and then yeah. over time it would just be a nice little trickle. Then I'll add another record and do the same thing all over again. So every year or two yeah. I'm adding a release or I'm doing and I'm doing a tour and that's what I'm used to. So, yep. so for that artist who's still thinking that way, what are their top 
categories of monetization. So streaming's there both because yeah. it's where the party is, like you said, and because sure. there's some revenue. Sure. And if you're making and if you're growing enough of a fan base, it actually becomes real revenue. What else are you saying to an artist for thinking about those categories of the top level? You got to get these three or four things in place to really start to yeah. see the revenue come in. That's super important. But let me step back to what you were alluding to at the beginning is kind of the release cycle. And it used to be kind of an industry 18 month, give or take release cycle. And now we tell clients it's an always on music industry. Mm. You know, you can't afford to be out of the market um, for 18 months, let alone six months. And you need to continually have that relationship and that engagement and the, the people the artists, managers, labels that are doing well with that use, you know, they use that new release cycle, right? Which is they might put out uh, a track. They might put out a couple of tracks, then an EP, and then they might put out another one and put that all together in an album later. But the it doesn't matter what that cycle is. It just matters that it's continuous and that it's engaging and that you're putting out compelling content the part that some people miss is that this new music business is a meritocracy so it's they don't care if it's an album uh, you know I, i'm not going to speak for spotify but typically the people that i talk to there they only care about the track mm -hmm. right and once you put a track into spotify's submission process uh, let's say a month or two later, you put another track in, it overwrites the previous one. Now that's the focus track that they're they're working on. So I tell folks to make sure you're putting your best foot forward, your best work forward, and that you're driving traffic to this. But to kind of get back to your question about, you know, revenue streams, it's it may not be as sexy as it once was, but physical is still important. People still want to have something tangible. People want something that they can buy at the merch table at your shows. They want something that they can have signed up on their wall. You know, I read an article about vinyl recently where they were talking about, you know, a large percentage of it isn't even played. That People use the download card that comes <laughs> with it or whatever. They just want to have it up on their shelf to show people how cool they are. And regardless, I still think that physical is still very important. Um, as a revenue stream. It's got a good markup. Merch, exactly. I think merch is very important, but not just the obvious things about merch, like t-shirts and you know things like that. We tend to drive people to experiences. Now, it wasn't that long ago that Pledge Music was kicking ass and taking names and they were doing really well. And we all, you know, it was almost like the new Tower Records. We could go in there and and you could buy not only the drum head that was signed by your favorite artist, but you could pay and get a stage worn outfit or get a phone call for them or write a song with them. To me, that was really, really compelling. And so we have an artist now that's about to release um, about 17 different experiences. And I think that's kind of overlooked sometimes. If you have the bandwidth to do it, it can bring in a, a lot of revenue. And so you have the experiences, which is kind of like the pledge music model. And there are sites like, you know, Banzoogle. If you happen to explore Banzoogle, they have that capability in their sites, you know, where that, that can be built in, as well as the next point, which is kind of the, the Patreon model, right? Where people subscribe to you. Um, and that's another great revenue stream. If you have the bandwidth and, 
you're going to actually continue to feed that beast and put out compelling content and engage that audience, um, there's a lot of ways where you can make revenue to your point um, that don't involve just um, streaming revenue. Gotcha. So you got streaming, you got physical, and you've got these various experiences, which could have a subscription model, uh, a direct to fan model of some sort, um, whether it goes directly through your website or some kind of platform like a Patreon or whatever is going to replace pledge and so forth. So let me go back though, because I really, I really, um, I, I like how succinctly you put this about the streaming era about singles. I mean, I know that um, we, we've seen digitization lead to uh, music getting sliced into smaller and smaller pieces from album to single to sample and then slicing it the other way and actually people monetizing stems and that sort of thing. we got some right. work-from-home right. dogs there. Sorry about that. The UPS driver came in and he's saving my life, but sorry. Go <laughs> no, ahead. No, it's, it's totally fine. My dog has decided that <laughs> she can bark at any delivery person and it's been reinforced by the fact that they always leave. And so she just, that's why I found out she, she's always barking. Yeah, but it worked. <laughs> it totally worked. Um, you got to see how these things work in the music industry and keep doing them. So, um, right. so if you're barking at the right place, you might get some money. But but what oh, I'm actually... what I'm good, Dimitri. <laughs> I like... I like the way you succinctly put this thing about um, streaming singles versus albums. And then if you put out an album, what you're basically saying is you have one slot in the attention span of a fan base or even of the streaming services that are deciding what to do with your music. And if you use that one slot for a whole album, there's eight or nine slots that you kind of wasted all at once. It can be like that. We don't have the attention span that we used to have, you know, as music consumers. Now, you and I may be different. We may listen to full albums, but in general, most people are are not doing that. And you want to drive them away from just listening to, you know, a, a playlist, for example, and checking out your artist page and getting deeper into your music. That's where you get you know, real engagement, you know, one of the things that we work really hard with artists on is, you know, let's take Spotify, for example, you can sign up for Spotify for artists, it's, you know, it's free, and you can go in there and do a lot of things, you know, you can change your banner and your artist image and add your social links and put in a bio and, man, you can do a lot of things, you can do an artist pick where you can put kind of like, uh, a playlist of the songs that you want people to discover in there. And it's right up front and center. Mm -hmm. And why that's important is because one of the first things clients do when they come to me is they'll say, I got to get on this playlist. And the first thing we say is we'll, we'll time out, we'll, we'll get there. But why do you need to get on that playlist? You know, um, that's not the end goal. It's, it's great. It's something that everybody wants and needs and can help. But if you and I heard a new song that we really loved right now, we're not going to go looking for it on playlists. We're going to go to our digital service provider and we're going to go to that artist page and look it up. And that impression is really important. So with Apple Music, I understand that they're coming out with, you know, additional functionality. Right now, it's just the artist image that you can change. Um, now, you know, Amazon just launched their Amazon for music or for artists, I'm sorry. So, that's kind of the trend and, and going forward is making sure that wherever people go to hear your music, that that brand is consistent and, you know, across the board and they're able to explore more. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. So we're talking a little bit about uh, how to engage fans on those streaming services. Think in terms of singles. Don't solely think in terms of playlists. If you are thinking in terms of playlists, build playlists on your own profile that draw people into more of your world, whether it's your own tracks or similar tracks. Absolutely. Create that experience for them. Uh, before we go off of playlists, what else do you usually advise around playlists? I mean, there's a lot of pitching services. There were companies yep. that were trying to pitch to Spotify editorial, uh, meaning staffed curated lists. And then it seems like that's largely been cut, at least on a public side. That's what Spotify is saying and doing, um, that yeah. you have to apply through Spotify uh, to to get your your tracks considered for any of their curated playlists. But then there's a lot, still a lot of services for pitching for user-generated playlists, which some of which do have an impact as well. What, what is your th- theory, philosophy, and advice around how, how to increase playlists and the value of that? Well, I'm not a big fan of, you know, these pay for placement services. Um, I was speaking to, you know, the head of indie music at Spotify recently, and she told me that they've actually taken down um, artists for using some of these services because unknowingly they'll use you know, bot farms or, or different tactics that are against their terms of service. Um, and even when you go to SoundCloud and socials, there's all sorts of people out there that'll take your money and promise you more followers, more spins. Um, it's so easy to look at the data and determine that they're not real. Um, what you want is you want real engaged folks. So as far as the pay for play, I I try to steer people away from that. I do like services like Submit Hub because it's not pay for play. It's really more, you do pay money, but you're paying for it to get someone's opinion. So they'll go out to their network and they have to listen to your song for a certain amount of time and give you their opinion on it. And I think, you know, that's kind of like, you know, radio call outs. I think it's valuable Mm -hmm. right but i think that with with streaming there's no silver bullet and i think that's what people are looking to i talk to these older school managers and they want like radio used to be where you could pay a lot of money and have somebody promote your single and go out and get radio airplay and things happen but you it's not that way in the streaming service you're not going to hire somebody pay them a bunch of money and have them get you on today's top hits it, it just doesn't work that way. But you can do some basic blocking and tackling that tend to help time and time again. And, and I'll run through just a few of them. Okay. You know, the, the digital service providers, when you speak with Spotify, Apple Music, you know, Pandora, Deezer, Amazon, they all kind of say the same thing, basically, which is they want to know what the narrative is. What's the story? And it can't be that Dimitri just has a new album coming out. You know, there's got to be something, is this, is this, you know, did you overcome adversity? Is this about a cause? Is this the record you always wanted to make and why? You know, what is the narrative for your release? That's number one. Number two, they want early music, you know, as early as possible. So it doesn't have to be mixed, mastered. It's not going to go up on the service, but if you can get them the narrative and get them the music early, all of that really helps. Mm. And then and then the other thing is like what is your plan to help them? You know, I think it's true in in any kind of business that you want when you go to meet with someone, you you ask like how can I help you before you ask what they can do for you. And with digital service providers, think about what their goals are. They want to have, 
you know, subscribers. They want to grow their base. So what, what I would do with new music with a digital service provider is say, how can we collaborate? What programs do you have that I can participate in? How can I drive traffic to you? Here's my social footprint. Here's my advertising budget. You know, here's my ECRM, my email list, all the different ways and show them, look, I'm going to commit to driving traffic to you. Um, can you collaborate with me? Can I be a part of your, your programs? That tends to work a lot more than going out and finding some easy way and just paying somebody to get playlist placement. Because the, the last thing I'll say on the playlist placement uh, companies, and some of these people are, are really nice people and, and they, they have a network of user curators that are legit, right? Mm -hmm. But not all of them do. And some of them will promise you DSP curated playlists and anybody who says that to you, run the other direction as fast as you can. Mm, okay. This is really, really good advice, Jay. Honestly, I've been listening to podcasts and reading up on this stuff for years and I feel like you're, you're putting it in such very clear, tactical, direct advice. Super helpful. So, so gracious of you to be this generous with the info. Um, so one last, uh, one last thing on, on playlists, uh, and then we'll move on to funnel building. Cause I think that's really what sure. you're talking about is how do you get these people over to be yes. listening and, and to monetize on it? That's right. Um, yeah. do the user generated playlists add any value at all. I mean, are they getting enough streams to monetize? Are the DSPs seeing traction there and using that as justification to put you on curated playlists where the real traffic is? I'm so glad you brought that up. Uh, I, I speak to people who only want to be on these big playlists, but the problem with some of these playlists is they only keep new music on for one week or two weeks, or there's a cycle where they, they freshen up. And if you're on one of these big playlists and then you're dropped off, you're, you're done. Right. So it's a short life. I would rather, yeah, I would rather be on a lot of mid-level, what we call feeder uh, playlists. And to your point, even some of these smaller ones, because it, you want to be everywhere, number one. But number two, if you look at these playlists and there's some really great services out there, like, you know, chart metric and sound charts and places where you can actually see it's not just about the followers, it's how many listeners do they have. There are playlists that I look at that have tons of followers, but they, have, they don't have a lot of engagement. They don't have a lot of monthly listeners. Right. And that's kind of the metric. The reason followers, I think, is important is you want people to follow your, your artists, your, your band on, let's say, Spotify, just as an example, because then when you put out new music, it's automatically dropped into their release radar, for example. So that's valuable. But it's like I follow, you know, Dickie's Pants on Facebook, but I'm not engaged. You know, that doesn't that follow or that like or whatever isn't really that meaningful. And I think with playlists, people get caught up in, oh, my gosh, that playlist has a million followers. Well, go in and see how many listeners it has. And, and the other thing that I'll add to that is that if you're not in the top, say, 15 songs in that playlist, the engagement goes way down. And it, it makes sense if you think about it, you're driving to work or you're working out or you first put on the playlist. That's when you're the most engaged going, oh, well, that's I like that song. I'm going to add that to my personal library or I'm going to go check their, you know, their uh, page out. But when it gets, you know, if you're number 200 in a playlist of 500 songs, you aren't going to have the engagement that you're going to have. So one of the goals 
is to be in that that first couple dozen you know songs for for greater engagement Right. Okay. This is interesting. So I took away from that note that even if you're on one of those top playlists, you might not be at the top of the playlist. If you're not in the top 15, then you're going to get less engagement or even listens from folks. Secondly, just because a playlist has a lot of followers doesn't mean they're engaged followers. So that, that, that metric is a little bit of a vanity metric, how many followers the playlist has. And then finally, just because you've got on that playlist doesn't mean you'll be on there for very long. So even if you get a quick bump in traction, it might not last very long. And so you're pointing towards there's some middle tier playlists that maybe you're further up on the list. The list is more engaged yeah. and you're there yeah. longer. So you get more, yeah. um, more follows from it and more listens. That's exactly right. And the only thing I would add to that is that you, you mentioned this, the word vanity, and it, it spurred this thought in my head about when you go on to, and again, not to use Spotify, you know, as the, the only example for yeah. everything, because there's a lot of great, you know, digital services out there. Um, but the reason I want to use Spotify for this example is I have clients come to me and they'll say, well, I've, I've got a million plays on this song already. And I said, well, where, where did you see that number? And they said, well, it's on, it's on Spotify. It says, you know, million plays. Well, that's not a real number. I mean, it's based on one second or more. But if you look at your statement, you get paid on 30 seconds or more. So this, this sounds pedantic. I didn't but, know you that. Know, you, you've got a million streams on Spotify, but you got paid for, you know, 500,000. Well, you got a 50% skip rate. You know, that's a problem. So, and, that, and this is true with data. One, one of the things that I love to dig into, and I subscribe to almost every data platform I can get my hands on, is not only just looking at the data, but what does the data mean? How can you make it actionable? You know, the the obvious thing is, you know, you can look at some of these things and see where where you're popular and route your tour that way. Okay, well, that's making it actionable. But you have to kind of look at these numbers and see what they mean. Um, if you're fortunate enough to go through a distributor like, let's say, uh, InGrooves or ADA or The Orchard, they have dashboards where you can kind of go in and, and find, you know, your source of sc- stream, your skip rate, and then compare that to industry averages and things like that. And that's all valuable information. But if you're a DIY artist or, you, you know, you don't have the wherewithal yet to do that, there are all sorts of great platforms where you can kind of pull that data. And a lot of them are free. You know, we had mentioned, you know, Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, Amazon for artists, you know, Pandora's AMP. I mean, there's so many great places where you can get data to kind of learn. Yes, making it actionable is is the key there. Mm-hmm. But not being kind of, um, how would I say this? Like, they say that data is like a lamppost. You, you use it to illuminate or you use it to lean on. Mm-hmm. Most people use it to lean on to, you know, support their views. Um, it's always great to kind of look at that data and then see, well, what does this mean? Because when I, when I talk to artists, specifically artists, and I ask them who their audience is, they're almost always wrong. And the reason for that is there's three audiences. You know, when you're an artist and you're standing on a stage, you look out and you go, oh, well, that's, you know, 25 year old women. Okay. Well, that's one audience. That's your live audience. But what about who's doing the sales streams and downloads? And you can easily pull that information through those services that we just talked about. 
um, that might be a little bit different. It might be, it might skew male, it might skew older, right? And then the last set of uh, data that you look at is your, your socials, you know? So you've got your live show, one, number two, your sales streams and downloads, you know, the consumption, and then number three, uh, the socials. And take a look and see how those audiences vary. Mm. Um, it, they rarely align. Wow, that's really interesting. Let's go up a level from here. We've been talking a lot about the streaming services. You've mentioned email a couple of times. Can you talk just real real briefly about the power of email, why email, how email? Oh my gosh, I'm such a big fan of email. And I meet people all the time who say, yeah, I don't have a list anymore. I, you know, Nobody does email. You'd be surprised at the engagement from email. Now, the the average open rate for a music business email, uh, you know, according to Mailchimp, is about 17 percent. Open rate about you know three four percent. Um, I know folks who are getting you know double that easily because they're constantly engaging their audience um, with email. We call it ECRM, electronic consumer relationship management, but it's basically you have your audience and you engage with that audience. But when I say ECRM, I'm not just talking about, you know, MailChimp and constant contact. There are so many other ways, you know, like we had mentioned bands in town, Mm -hmm. you know, where you can reach out to not only your trackers, but other people's trackers. There are services that I absolutely love that um, folks should test out. And, And again, I'm not, paid for saying this. Um, but there's a company, uh, bot letter, for example, B O T letter, L E T T E R one word. And the reason this is important is when you go through your socials and do advertising, sometimes those work really well and it's a great way to grow an audience, but let's take Facebook. For example, if I posted on Facebook for one of my artists, I I don't do social posts, but let's say I did. And I posted tomorrow for one of my artists, you know, only a few percentage points of that audience are going to see that post. Now I can boost the post. There's all sorts of things I can do to increase that, but I'm not going to get, let's say I have 10,000 fans. I'm not going to reach all 10,000 of them. But if you use a service like um, bot letter, and I think another one is MCAST, I'll have to check that one, but I know bot letter, you can actually send everybody in that list, a note that says, Hey, would you like to opt in to receive, let's say monthly messages for me? And let's say that half of them say yes. Now, once you've got that list and you send messages out to those guys, the open rates today are ridiculous. 60, 70%, which is, and some people hire. So there's all sorts of tools out there like that. Now, once this gets kind of mainstream and super popular, will those numbers come down? People get irritated with having messages you know in their facebook yeah probably but right now people aren't as you know put off by that so i would just encourage people to explore the different tools out there and again when i'm when i say ecrm i'm talking about email i'm talking about things like bands in town i'm talking about social messaging all sorts of things that's right all of that so let's go up one more tier above that you talked a little bit about social posting let's talk about that as a funnel building process because everyone knows they have to be on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, maybe YouTube, so forth. But tell me, 
like, what are you really strategically trying to do when you're on social as an artist, as a, as an artist manager label? Um, what, what's the point of being there? I mean, if you, you know, I, I point to, you know, everyone built up their Facebook following and then they found that they had to pay to reach their Facebook following. So tell me, tell me what's the current thinking and strategy around funnel building and calls to action on social. Well, that's, that's exactly it, is that, that funnel building. And, and how do you do that? You know, how do you go from, say, uh, general awareness to, you know, loyalty, conversion, advocacy, you know, those types of things? Let me back up. So with, with socials, what I notice in the music business is a lot of folks are posting, buy my album, see my show, buy my album, see my show. And they're just barking. Mm-hmm. And what I found is from looking under the hood at the data is those folks that engage their audience and have a relationship and a communication with their audience, a real back and forth. I'm not saying it's part of you know Facebook's algorithm. I don't know anything about that, but I do know that it works. What you'll see, it just reaches more and more people. And so what I tell people is this 80-20 rule that... of your posts should be about relationship building, should be about communication, and maybe 20% should be about buy my album, see my show, right? And be careful with posting things like, oh, I'm playing in New York tomorrow. Well, most of your fans may not be in that area. Maybe you want to target that. uh, and, And so you're less, you know, spammy, right? Mm -hmm. So in my mind, and, and I'm, it's so important. It's, it's a relationship. You know, the people who do socials well, you feel like you're, you're connected. It's not just somebody barking, you know, by this. So relationships, real engagement, you know, we talk about, well, what is engagement? You know, is it a, a like, a follow, a forward, a video view, you know, and, and I don't get into that debate. It's all of the above. If you've got somebody to take an action, then that's, that's a good thing. Do you want them to, you know, do more of that, like view your videos and comment and and do all of that? Yeah. But I think you do that with that engagement. You know, you and I talked a little bit about, you know, data. Well, with socials, you've got insights. So you can learn, it sounds pedantic, but do more of what's working and less of what Hmm. doesn't. Right. Right. And, you know, they're, they're, all sorts of great tactics when you're talking about that funnel building, you know, where you really want to grab someone and just number one, you know, what's the number one reason somebody doesn't buy your new record. They either have never been exposed to it or they don't know it's out. Well, socials can help, you know, do that. So that awareness is kind of important, you know, early on just to get people to go, you know, it's another impression to kind of maybe they see a video of you go by in their feed. I heard an interesting stat um, from a friend of mine at Facebook, he told me that 85% of videos are watched on Facebook with the sound off. And right. And, and that it, it stunned me when I first heard it, it was like, but then I thought about my own behavior. You know, when I go through my feed, even if it's something I really love, you know, a lot of times I'll just kind of watch it for a little bit. I don't necessarily engage. So I, I think knowing the tools that can reach an audience. And I'm a big fan of using professionals when it comes to socials, because it's like everybody thinks they know socials, but when you work with people who do that for a living and you um, see how they grow an audience, build an audience and the tactics that they use, I think that's super valuable. And one of the things that has been really helpful to me when we talk about that funnel building is 
you know, like lookalike audiences. And for those who've never used one, it's super simple to, let's say, for example, put a, an email list into Facebook. And then Facebook looks at the attributes because it knows everything about those people, most of them. Um, then it can find another audience of people that have those same attributes as your fans, but haven't listed you as a fan yet. So now you're being a lot more surgical, right, about reaching out to people. And to be clear, Jay, the lookalike audience is associated with advertising, not not uh, organic posts, right? That's right. Yeah, so that's right. That's that's a good. Point. Well, finish your point. I want to ask you about ads too. Well, that that's kind of it. I mean, you want you want to pull people through that funnel, you know, from people who just look and may may be curious because of your appearance or how the video looks, or they might have heard your name, you know, and make those impressions down through where you you get them to make that um, commitment or that engagement, and then ultimately, you know, have some type of. Uh, some loyalty. So I'm hearing you say there should be a strategy to get new people to follow you, like you on the socials. And then there's also this 80-20 rule. Once people are paying attention, how much of it is posting general relationship, not general, I'm sorry, but relationship building oriented stuff. What are you listening to these days? How are you holding up? Uh, post your f first favorite album, really just engaging yes. with those people, creating conversation with your fan group. And then 20% with, with kind of calls to action uh, that are more associated with, you know, please do this thing that's going to help me. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's spot on. And I would just add to that, that um, I work with this company sometimes uh, called Blue Biscuit Digital, and they'll help with uh, planning uh, social media campaigns. And the woman who runs it, her, hers is a 90-10 rule. Um, I said 80-20, you know, 80% is, you know, more of the relationship and 20% selly. And she thinks it's more like 10. Yeah. Like you don't want to be hitting these people over the head with buy my album, see my show. Um, all the time because it turns them off. Gotcha. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Cool. When do you pay for for boosting social posts or for ads? What's what's the right moment? What's the right type of post? How frequent? How much money do you spend? All that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I I was um, talking to this uh, rapper Lucidius. He was on on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he said that he puts a budget together every month, and it's like a bill. He pays like one hundred and fifty dollars a month. And he's been doing it for years and years. And that's just something he builds into his budget. It's just like the cable bill. He just does it. And it's worked well for him. Uh, for his music and for his crowd, he's been focusing mainly on Instagram. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just if you're going to do this, if you're going to put out music, you number one, you need to have a plan, right? You mm -hmm. need to in, in all of these areas. But I think you also need to have a budget. And whether that's, you know, $5 or $5,000, you need to budget that money. And let's say you're working with Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, however you're, you're targeting your ad spend, you'll be able to know fairly quickly what's working, what's not working. And then it's a learning process uh, over time. But I think if you continually work at it and not just put down uh, a chunk of change around the release cycle, and then move away. Um, you know, there's a joke in the advertising world that, you know, half my advertising doesn't work. I just don't know which half. Um, with all this digital stuff, you do know what works and what doesn't work. Right. Yeah. So that, that makes tons of sense. Um, 
This has been super cool. I want to ask you a couple more things and then talk a little bit about how people can hear more knowledge from you and, and connect with you because you've got some cool, <laughs> you got some really cool platforms Thank for you. that. You mentioned the podcast, which we'll, we'll shout out at the end here. But um, are there other favorite platforms of yours for artists and managers that want to augment their reach, increase their reach, make more conversions, and also to monetize through e-commerce, direct-to-fan commerce, things like that? There are, and we, we could talk for hours about this, but I, I'll give you a, a handful of my favorites. Cool. I, just know that I love testing things out. And so any new platform that comes around, I love jumping in there and testing things. And every now and then you find one that just works and it becomes part of your arsenal. So some of my, my favorite things, we already talked about ECRM. Um, so that's that's key, whether you use uh, you know MailChimp, Constant Contact, Bands in Town, uh, bot letter, any of those things. Mm -hmm. ECRM is super important. The other one is um, teams that will do online advertising. And this is what I love about online advertising is if a unit is underperforming or not performing, you can pull it down on the fly and put something else up there. So I use companies like Gupta Media, um, WMA. Um, there are other companies like Gary Group, Dash2, I'm just off the top of my head. There's a lot of these companies, but I think Gupta Media and WMA are the two, my two go-to um, that will help you. They do a lot of other things, especially WMA, but they can help you put together a meaningful online um, advertising strategy, whatever your goals are. It could be to put butts in the seats. It could be to drive traffic to DSPs, It, you know, whatever it is they can help you uh, with that. What What's kind of a minimum budget that you need to approach one of those kind of digital ad agency folks? Oh, I would say probably um, the lowest we we typically do is like $5,000. Okay, cool. So that may not make sense for like a smaller DIY thing. It depends. It depends if you're launching a tour or a release, you know, you want to invest in it. Um, but yeah, they, I think they're about $5,000. And that's including the ad buy and their percentage, or that's just their fee? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's including. That's oh, cool. all in. Cool. All right. What were the other platforms you were going to mention? Um, found.ee. Mm -hmm. um, the word found and then .ee. You know, they're really great with, again, audience growth is so important. Advertising, they're, they're strong with. Um, another one is uh, Tone Den. Um, T-O-N-E-D-E-N. Um, they do some really great stuff with uh, Messenger and with ads. Um, we mentioned Bands in Town. You can go look at Bands in Town Manager. Um, and we use that on almost every release too. We just want to make sure that we're hitting anybody who's tracking the artist. And then if there are any uh, like competitive artists that we know that they would love our music, you know, you can, you can hit them there. And that one's free. Those are kind of... Yeah. Well, Bands in Town Manager is free for your trackers, but if you want to go after another bands, there it's five cents an email. Gotcha. Which is pretty reasonable. Yeah. Cool. That's awesome. These are such great hints. Are there any best practices in this world that if you're stuck at home with COVID-19 uh, sheltering <laughs> at home, you've never done this stuff, What is there anything that, that somebody might be listening to this and say, oh man, I've been needing to catch up on this. Where should I start? Or what, what might work especially well given this moment? And then, and then we'll wrap up. 
Okay. A, a couple of things. Look, if you've got some time on your hands right now, make sure all your socials are verified. Make sure that your artist pages are claimed, you know, Spotify for artists, Apple Music for artists, Amazon for artists. Make sure you you claim all those those pages. It's an always on music industry. I can't stress that enough. Don't have this time be where you fall off the face of the planet. If you don't have, let's say you can't get into the studio to record. Um, can you do a stripped down acoustic version? Can you collaborate with other artists, you know, via, you know, online, right? There's so many other things that you can do. Can you do a, a remix? Do you have any live versions, you know, lying around there? Keep the music flowing, keep the communication flowing and make sure it's a relationship. If you're putting music out, don't just drop it in the marketplace, you know, make sure that you're across all the platforms. Let's say you put a new song out during this COVID thing. Make sure that your folks that are following you on YouTube, that you put out um, a lyric video if you can, or a stripped down version, or what we call a pseudo video. You've seen these things where it's just the, you know, the track art or the album art and an audio bed. Well, people put those into playlists, you know, and it, it takes two minutes to make one of those. Just, you know, I would advise people to continue. Don't let this stop you from being creative, you know, write, collaborate, but also don't let it stop you from releasing music. I think that would be a mistake. Awesome. That's, that's super great. And you, you mentioned um, that you just had Lucidius on your podcast. I assume that would be a good kind of Instagram uh, case study. Yes. Any other artists that you've worked with that you think people can dig in to see how they're handling socials and learn from? Yeah, I think, I mean, Lucidius, you know, with his, you know, he offers a course on this and, you know, he and Ari Herstand and it's really cool stuff to help people, you know, grow their audience. There's a lot of people doing interesting things on socials. You know, I love, you know, like Alice Cooper will post a lot of things on haunted houses and hot cars hmm. and things, and it really engages the audience and it speaks to his brand. And I would encourage people to do that. But the most exciting thing for singles or singles for uh, socials for me is when you take something from zero uh, to 60 and we're working with a couple of artists now that are because of the fact that maybe they were in other bands and now they're reformed, you know, as a, a new entity, they don't have a social footprint yet. I mean, like zero. And it's really fun to kind of grow that. And there, there are two artists I'm doing that with right now. One is called the Licorice Quartet. And it's basically three of the four members of Jellyfish. Um, and they form this band and they're, they're basically starting from zero. And it's really great building that. The other one, the last one I'll mention is Brett James, who you may not have heard of, but he's written 500 songs that have been recorded by other artists, including 25 number one hits. Uh, like Jesus take the wheel, but most people don't know who Brett James is and he doesn't have a social footprint because he's a professional songwriter. That's what he does for a living. Well, he, he hit 50 and wrote a song for his daughter and his family said, well, why don't you put out your own music? So he's putting out music. And again, you're starting from zero. Mm -hmm. Like there were no followers and those tactics that we talked about a little bit earlier have helped us to start growing his base, growing the followers, growing the streams. We have one track that we just put out, you know, it's not in the millions yet, but we've had, you know, 135,000 streams, you know, on Spotify. And it, this is how it grows, you know, bit by bit, building that relationship, getting the word out. And, and it's always on. 
You know, he's continually putting things out. Same with Licorice Quartet. Holy cow, Jay Gilbert, you have just dropped so much knowledge on our audience. It's been so generous of <laughs> I'm you. I'm caffeinated, Dimitri. I, I, got too I caught much you at the right me. time. We got him locked in his house. Not only do we have a ca- captive audience, we've got a captive <laughs> guest. We've got him on caffeine, and he's lit, he's, he's spewing yep. all of his expertise right here for free. And, of course, there's a lot of work to be done there. And now you know that Jay yeah. can do it. Label Logic is the company. Jay, you're also the co-host of the Music Biz Weekly, which is at musicbizweeklypodcast.com, but also available on pretty much every podcast streaming service, uh, along with your co-host, Michael Branvold. You also have a really cool weekly music news for the new new music business called Your Morning Coffee, which is your highly curated weekly snapshot of the new music business delivered to your inbox every Friday morning, which I guess people go to jgilbertconsulting.com to sign up. Is that right? No, they would go to labellogic.net and you can sign up for your morning coffee or just on socials, but thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. No, Jay, this has been amazing. You know, we've been talking so much about all this new stuff about live streaming and remote collaboration on the Music Tectonics podcast, but I thought, you know what? This is also a great time to just get your house in order, and you are the man to help us. You and your dogs and your UPS driver has been awesome, (laughs) Jay. Thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure, Dimitri. Thanks for having me, man. You bet. Let's stay in touch, and I hope to run into you again when we can, maybe we won't shake hands, but at least we can be like six feet away from each other. Count on it. All right, see you soon. Thanks so much for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Please hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. We're doing weekly Wednesday in April with Music Tectonics. There are meetups and panels about music technology and innovation using Zoom. Find out more at musictectonics.com. We're also doing our conference October 27th and 28th. So please stay safe, stay healthy so we can be there together. And until then, we'll see you online. You're listening to Music Tectonics.